Luke chapter 10, and we'll start reading verse 27 this evening. And behold, a certain lawyer stood up and tempted him, saying, Master, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And he said to him, What is written in the law? How readest thou? He answering said, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy strength, and with all thy mind. And he said to him, Thou hast answered right, This do, and thou shalt live. But he, willing to justify himself, he said to Jesus, Who is my neighbor? Jesus answering said, A certain man went down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell among thieves, which stripped him of his raiment, wounded him, and departed, leaving him half dead. By chance there came down a certain priest that way, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. Likewise, a Levite, when he was at that place, came and looked on him and passed by on the other side. But a certain Samaritan, as he journeyed, came where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion on him and went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring in oil and wine, and set him on his own beast and brought him to an inn and took care of him. Not tomorrow, when he departed, he took out two pence and gave them to the host and said to him, Take care of him. Whatsoever thou spendest more, when I come again, I will repay thee. Which now of these three, thinkest thou, was neighbor unto him that fell among the thieves? And he said, He that showed mercy on him. Then said Jesus unto him, Go and do thou likewise. As we prepare to go into vacation Bible school, I want to help prepare the mindset, the philosophy. And I want to do it using this passage. I want to speak tonight on this subject when life becomes nothing more than going from Jerusalem to Jericho. I know life has a lot of responsibilities. And I'm pleased, I'm proud as a pastor to see our people in society having to wake up every day, Monday to Friday, go to work, put up with a wicked world, live in the midst of unsaved people with unsaved habits and an unsaved philosophy and you deal with that every day and yet maintain Christian behavior. You keep your mind straight and your heart right and your head screwed on and I'm thankful for that. But I think too often we find ourselves simply traveling from point A to point B and that's all of life, and that really becomes our purpose, becomes a life without a purpose. The Bible tells us this story, a parable that Christ was trying to use to emphasize a point that we're supposed to really care about our neighbor. He said, well, who's my neighbor? And then he tells a story that we call the parable the Good Samaritan, that a man making this trip is a very dangerous route, wasn't a wise thing to travel alone. But on his trip, he fell among thieves. Now, look at what they do to him. They strip him, wound him, and then leave him half dead. We know that's what sin does to people. Now, as we're going into vacation Bible school this year, we're emphasizing the east side. Many of those children grow up in very underprivileged homes. If you stop and talk to people over there, you'll realize... Often dad lives drunk. Those children, three or four or five per house, they haven't seen mom for a while. Some don't even know who their biological father is. 
they're used to being yelled at. Most of the time, mom doesn't know where even the youngest of the children are. Just about any day of the week, you can drive in that neighborhood and see three and four-year-olds playing outside without any supervision at all. You see homes that are a mess, children that have been abused. They've been stripped, wounded, and sooner or later in life, they'll be left half dead. Here's the blessing of Vacation Bible School. In our trip from Jerusalem to Jericho, we'll pass by some of these children. The problem is the religious crowd came upon, the Bible says, verse 31, by chance. There came a priest. Now, you know who the priests were. Those were men that had dedicated their lives to the work of God in the work of the temple. So the priest came by. When he saw him, he noticed, and he passed by, look what the Bible says, on the other side. Now, before we point the finger, this is the way we live our lives. Every day, you don't have to go to the east side. You don't have to go to that neighborhood to find people with needs. We see them every day. Have you ever sat down and seen someone grinding? Have you ever sat beside someone at the doctor's office or in your place of business and simply asked, how you doing? And they said, uh, not, not so good. You know, when someone says that, they're crying out for a listening ear. You know what the average person does? Christian. We do our best to pass by on the other side. How many times if it's sitting in an airplane and we're hoping, I, I hope this person isn't a talker. I hope they don't start a conversation. I like to be able to just ignore them, their need, who they are. I don't even want a chance to witness. If we're stuck in a waiting room, we make sure to take a seat on the farthest side we kind of learn the American lifestyle, which is simply ignore the need, and that way you're not responsible to meet it. If you don't really see the person... Now, here's what he did. He saw this man from afar. Now, here's what the priest said. There was a million reasons why he went by on the other side. But one of the primary reasons, if this man was beat half to death and left for dead, this priest knowing the law that he had to live by, if he touched someone or something that was dead, he had to go through seven days of purification and could not serve, could not do his duty, serve in his capacity or in his office until he'd finished that time of cleansing. Let me just throw out nine or ten reasons quickly why he would have passed by on the other side he could have said that really doesn't fall under my ministry obligation I help people in the temple you know this kind of a Christian mindset I work in clubs preacher that's my two hours during the week when I'm supposed to help people I pay attention to people's needs so if they need something during that time frame I'm here but if it's not Wednesday night from 6 to 9, if it's not Saturday soul winning from 10 to 12, I'm not going to pass out a track. I'm not going to go through the gospel. If it's not Thursday night street preaching, if it's not in my classroom setting, 
if it doesn't fit within the walls of my Sunday school, or if I don't find that person in junior church, thankfully, that's not my obligation to reach out, step up, or meet a need. You know what the priest said? I already serve in the temple daily, so someone else can step up in this case and handle this man. I help people on Sundays, and it just happens to be Thursday. I'm already helping people so someone else can surely take care of this person. Maybe he said, why in the world should I help that man when he knows that's a dangerous route, and if he were traveling by himself, that was a stupid decision, he's simply paying the consequence of a bad decision. So you know what? You get in life what's coming to you. So sorry, Charlie. I hope you make it. Maybe he thought, if I hang around, those thugs robbed him, possibly hid in the bushes, and if I go over there to help him, it's a trap, it's a ploy. Matter of fact, maybe he's one of the thugs pretending to be hurt. Maybe he took a look and said, I don't think that man is going to survive anyways. Did you know when it comes to helping people, we all have an excuse? I have urgent business to attend to. Now, if there was a priest, if there were a Levite, they're traveling down this road, it was definitely business. This was not a pleasure trip. People didn't travel this road for pleasure. So, I'm going from point A to point B. I'm going to do it as fast as I can without any interruptions, if possible. Maybe he said, you know what? My job is to pray for him. So, Father, if you would send someone to take care of this man, I'd greatly appreciate it. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, let me, let me ask you this. Just in a congregation of 350 people, how many people get passed by weekly because Christians are living, going from point A to point B? We live, we get in the car, and it's point A to point B. I'm going to the coffee shop. From the coffee shop, I'm going to work. From work, I'm going to lunch break. From lunch break, I'm going to home. And from home, I'm going to bed. And I don't want anybody to interrupt me. And really, here's what it is. Souls become an interruption. People become an interruption. Here's what we don't want in life. American lifestyles taught us, you be scheduled, you stay on schedule, you be efficient. And anything that interrupts your efficiency should be an aggravation. Do you know what happens? To the average Christian, listen, anything that interrupts the preset schedule is simply a source of irritation. That may be a flat tire. That may be a phone call. That may be someone else's need or cry for help. That may be someone reaching out. But whatever the case, hey, can you give me a hand? Hey, can you do something for me? Hey, I need a favor. Maybe it's your wife. Maybe it's your children. Maybe it's a friend. Maybe it's a boss. But if anything goes out of your preset schedule and ritual, now it's a frustration. So here's why the church is helping very few people. I'm speaking about the church in general. The children of God, born again, baptized believers in 2013. Very few American Christians help people because I am traveling from Jerusalem to Jericho. I got things to do, people to see, obligations to fulfill, and I wish I could do that. I wish I could help that person. I wish I could reach out. Listen, there is a world out there that's been beaten up, wounded, and left half 
dead. Uh, and in our Christianity, we've become so cold, so callous. Here's what we say. My time to minister is during my ministry. My time to reach out is when I've already told preacher at Saturday morning or Sunday night or Tuesday evening or Wednesday at that set time. That's when I can help. That's when I can serve. That's when I can soul win. That's when I'll be a Christian and a good Samaritan. But if it doesn't fit within that time slot, I've got school, I've got study, I've got obligations, I'm a mother, I'm a father, I'm a leader, I work a job, I got 40 hours a week. Here's what we're doing. Here's all of our life, point A, point B, point A, point B, point B, point A. That's all we do. Our life, literally, think about your day, is consumed with going from point A to point B. That's it. And here comes a priest, a man of the cloth, a servant of God with an opportunity to reach out and help someone. But I've got to go from point A to point B. Here comes a Levite, another man who's dedicated to the work of the temple. Now, he took it one step further. Instead of just looking from afar and passing by, he actually stepped over, drew close, and said, wow, that poor boy took a beating. I hope he makes it. Then he kept on walking. Christians, I am thankful for all the help and I'm thankful for all the hard work. And I wish you could see what I see. I wish you could see all the hours this church spends. Because it's, it's amazing the investment this church makes in people. The ministries and the prisons and the nursing homes. And just helping the sick and delivering meals and whether it's the birth of a baby or someone that's sick in the church and all the time and preparation and all the work that even goes into something like Vacation Bible School, the ministry, the, the classes, we have a body of believers that goes above and beyond. The preparation for the music, the cleaning of the building, it's just nonstop around here. But I'm fearful in all of that. Here's life, A to B and B to A. And here's what we do. There are hundreds and hundreds of people that need attended to, need attention, spiritual attention, emotional attention. They need attention on some level. They're on the left of us. They're on the right of us. But because we're so focused on going from point A to point B, here, oh, can't, I don't, sorry. I'd like to, but sorry. God bless you. Hope we get better. Pray for you, brother. Okay, we'll see. And here's our life. This group is ignored. This group is ignored. Don't think for a minute that it's by chance that God has put those people with those needs in your path so that you can minister to them. And every day you walk by the same people with the same needs and you say, oh, I'd love to. And now weeks have passed and months have passed and years have passed. And those same people, now their needs have grown larger. They're still headed for hell. They've never heard the gospel. You've never taken time. But God says they're still there and I still want you to minister to them. There's no one else on this planet that will reach them except for you. God, I'd like to. God, you know, I wish, I wish you'd show me your perfect will for my life. You know, God, is, this thing about your perfect will is kind of tricky, and I'm just wondering where and when and how and at what time and where you really want to use me and what you have planned for me. And God said, look to your left. Look to your right. God, you know what? I got to get Jericho, Jerusalem's God's house. 
Jericho's the world. So you go from God's house to the world and from the world to God's house and from God's house to the world. And in those trips, there's just no time to really help anyone. And preacher, why should I stop to help someone? Because I'm headed from Jericho right now to Jerusalem. I'll help someone in Jerusalem. God said, I'm not asking you to help them in Jerusalem. I'm asking you to help them on the way to Jerusalem. And the priest walked by and the Levite walked by. Now, here's what's said. Who's the Samaritan? The half-breed. The outcast. The reject. He had no obligation. He had no spiritual obligation. Have you ever seen someone, they're dead in the light, and everyone, the light turns green, they're not moving, and everyone's like, oh, oh, screaming, rolling down their window, hey, pay attention. And when you get up there, you see the hazard lights on. Here's some poor pregnant lady shaking. She can't get the truck to start. She's starting to cry, and everybody goes by screaming at her. Then you get some 16-year-old, parks his truck, runs out in the middle of traffic, and tries pushing that vehicle by himself uphill. <laughs> while 65 men, oh, hey, get off the road, you idiot! And I bet about 35 of those claim to be Christians. I'm headed to work. I'm headed to Jerusalem. I'm headed to Jericho. Hey, you got a cell phone? Make a phone call. Next time, check the gas before you ever leave. We live our lives in everything. Listen, here's our ritual of our day. A to B, B to A. A to B. And it's broken up in smaller categories. A to B and B to A. That's our whole life. And we're convinced that we're efficient because we don't allow any distraction to interrupt that trip from A to B and B to A. We're so proud of ourselves. We pat ourselves on the back. Look at me. I made 32 trips today from A to B and from B back to A. Never talked to a person. Never passed out a track. Never got interested in anyone's life. Never sat down and carried someone's burden. Never went through the gospel. But you went from A to B and from B to A. And suddenly you find yourself 50 years old. And you just spent all the energy of your youth running. From Jerusalem to Jericho, from Jericho to Jerusalem. You've done it so many times, you, can't even, you don't remember the purpose of life. Now you've truly convinced yourself. Now ministry's not important anymore. You better be careful when you reach this age, 50, 55, ministry's no longer important because now the importance is, is just making it from A to B. I've just got barely enough energy to make it from A to B and from B back to A. If I can just get to Jericho and then get back home again, thank God I made it. And you know what all you talk about? Those that live this way, all they talk about is the road. Oh, man, they got some rough rocks there. Winding turns. Bad corners. It's a rough trail. Lots of thieves. Lots of robbers. Bad president. Corrupt government. Black helicopters. Man, I'm telling you what. Potholes. Headaches. Their whole life is spent talking about the road because they've never involved themselves in people. They've never been concerned about anyone. So the only thing they have to talk about is the road from Jerusalem to Jericho. 
You know why you're not talking about people? You haven't involved yourself in the people or people's lives. This is a good way to be miserable. A good way to be a miserable Christian is to spend all your time and energy and effort. And here's what I'm going to do. Man, I'll tell you what, uh, Brother Sullivan, I wish we'd get some people over there and fill in some of those potholes. I, I wish we'd get a group up there. You know, if government ever got their act together, uh, they would take care of some of those winding curves and corners and uh, they'd eliminate some of those thieves and they'd put some new laws on the books to help us out because the trip from Jerusalem to Jericho is heavy. It's tiresome. I'm worn out. I'm trying to do my best. It's hard to be a Christian walking from here to Jericho and back. It's just tough. You're just dealing with rough characters. And it tries my patience. And I get worn out. The sun is hot. I want to cuss, but I don't do it. I'm focused. And honest, people are proud of themselves because they say, I'm, at least I'm acting like a Christian because I go from A to B and from B to A. And there's a lot of cross traffic and there's a lot of fast vehicles. And, you know, I just, you know, I read my Bible and I pray as I'm down that trail and I, at some point, I want to say, get a life. Life is about people. Life isn't about a trail. Life isn't about a road. Life isn't about Jerusalem and Jericho. Life is about the people you help on that road. And there's plenty. They're not just one. I wish we could say we just pass up one a week. Think about all the trips you make from A to B, B to C and C to D during the course of a day. God will give you someone on each one of those trips, but you are not interested. I mean, God could literally take that beaten up, battered, stripped, half-dead person and lay them across the road. You wouldn't even notice You've so perfected the art of ignoring people, you'd be like, That's what the priest did. That's what the Levite did. Here came the Samaritan. Let's see what he did. He gets over there. And he saw, but he saw things differently. Verse 33, the Samaritan, as he journeyed, came where he was when he saw him... Some with different eyes. Eyes of compassion. There's a big difference between compassion and pity because pity will make you say, bless his heart. Boy, he's had it rough. Boy, I wish I could do something to help him. Isn't that a tragedy? Compassion will actually move you to action. He saw him. He had compassion. He, here's what compassion does. You'll know when you have a compassionate heart because when you show compassion, you will go to the person in need. Well, I'd help him if he came to me. He can't. He's half dead. You got to go to him. You know, you're surrounded by people, the place where you shop and the, the places that you frequent in the business where you work at. You're waiting for those people to suddenly wake up one day and say, Hey, just don't I mean you're a Christian. You know, I'd like some of that. Folks, they are dead in their sins. They are incapable of attempting to seek help. They have to have someone see their need 
notice their condition and approach them. He went to him. He bound up his wounds. And here's what we don't like. You know, helping people's messy. How many like dealing with wounds? How many of you faint when you're forced to do that? You know, most Christians, the thought of helping someone else nearly makes them pass out. It's too messy. You know what? In this day and age, this world's sin has so beaten people up. When you go to reach out to them, here's what you're going to find. A mess. Abuse. Mistrust. Hurt. Go talk to Brother Donald about what he's dealing with in teen discipleship. Sometimes you look at some of these kids and think, I don't even know if we can ever put them back together again. Remember, we had a young lady in our church whose boyfriend and several other young men got in an accident about 65 miles an hour, and he was the only one that survived the accident. When I went up there to visit him, literally he was in a cast from his neck to his feet. And I looked at that boy, and he's half lifted in the air. And I thought, there, there's no way this boy survives. That's what the world has done to these kids in this generation. Sin has so messed them up and run them over. And sin isn't satisfied with one trip over them. Sin puts that car in reverse and runs over them again. It puts it in drive and runs over them again. It puts it in reverse and runs over them again. By the time we get them, they're on life support. And every Sunday you feel like you're simply doing CPR just to keep them alive. Helping people is messy. I'm glad for your life and I'm glad you got things organized. I'm glad you make money and I'm thankful for your efficiency. But I'm, I'm just not convinced that God put you on the planet for 65 years so you can run from A to B and B to A and A to B and your whole life is about the trip from Jerusalem to Jericho and Jericho to Jerusalem. That's all you can talk about. That's all you think about. That's all you live. And now I can actually make the trip in 28 minutes. Now you can make the trip without getting any dirt on my car. Now, you know what? We even put many things into our vehicle to help facilitate the trip. Now it's 28 minutes, but it doesn't even seem like that. We've made it so enjoyable. I don't think that was the purpose of God putting you on this planet. God says, I need you to pay attention because there are people that have been beat up. Here's what Vacation Bible School is. God's going to put about 250, 300 people in our path who've been so hit, crushed, hurt by sin. And the problem is, even in a congregation like this, wonderful people with tender hearts. It's an eye problem because you don't see things God sees. So you see a kid, he's running in the hall, he's going to mess up the the, the bathroom, he's going to tear a seat, he's going to mark on a pew, he's going to stain the carpet. You actually need someone that cares. Looks at him like he's a soul, an eternal soul with an eternal destiny. Understanding. Most likely this kid has one week to hear the gospel. And next Tuesday will be their lucky day when they get in a van and they come to a church and they hear the gospel. And that will be the only day in their whole life that anyone ever opens the Bible and tells them that Jesus loves them. 
I know we can't fathom that because we hear it all the time. We hear it so much that we get bored. They've never heard of Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John. You tell them to open their Bibles. They don't even know what a Bible is. They've never had one. They've, their parents don't have one. There's never been a Bible in their house. The Samaritan walks over, binds up his wounds, pours in oil and wine. It's expensive. It's going to cost him something. Now, I told you reasons why the Levite and the priest walk by. What would be the typical reasons why the average Christian walks by? Well, maybe the cost. But I would say in this day and age, the problem has been different in every generation, but the, the problem in this generation is we have perfected efficiency in our lives. We hate interruptions. You love God, but you've scheduled the work of God. And we're convinced that God's work must be convenient. Helping people has to be convenient. So I've scheduled in my day from 7 to 8, Tuesday nights, I do discipleship. So God, if you send me Spanish people from 7 to 8 on Tuesday night, got it. I'll reach out. I got the oil and the wine, got everything prepared, got the table out, got the doctor present. We can handle this. But what if that Spanish person shows up beaten down, broken, badly in need of some help Thursday night at 12 o'clock? He takes his time, binds up his wounds, pours in oil. Now, I want you to highlight these three words in your Bible. His own beast here's what we don't like his own beast okay I'm making this trip I've got my mule or my horse and one of us has to walk but that guy can't walk he's half dead I know what I'll do preacher I'll tie a rope around his foot tie it to the horse and do my best to get him to town but I'm not going to throw him on my horse that means I will have to walk. You know what we don't like? Helping people means taking our own beast. Hey, pastor, you got a church van to pick up those children? Uh, what about if you use your own beast? Pastor, can you buy me some toys and some candy so I can help these kids out? You know, helping someone's actually going to cost you your own beast. Pastor, I'm going to get in the ministry. What's my budget? What? I got to use my own piece? You got to be kidding me. You mean if I have a ministry from here to Jericho and I have one horse, you're telling me I'm not only supposed to help that person, but I'm supposed to use my one horse? I'd get in the ministry if you provide me another horse. Okay, I'm out he took care of him he takes him down to the inn gives money to the host says whatsoever more thou spendest you let me know I'll repay it Christ said which of these three thinkest thou was neighbor do you see how Christ changes the question that was made by the lawyer because how did the lawyer word the question 
Who's my neighbor? I'm going from here to Jericho. Okay, who's my neighbor? Is it Shane because he's close? Is it Brother Sutton? Is it the front row? Is it two or three in? Is it the neediest of the group? But look, if I'm going from here to Jerusalem and back to Jericho, there's a lot of people. Okay, so which one of these is my neighbor? That's what he's saying. He's saying, would you pinpoint this? Would you point out that one person? Because I don't have time to make every one of these people my neighbor. Look how he answers the question. He says, which now of these three thinkest thou was neighbor unto him? He said, stop trying to identify who the neighbor is. That's not the problem. Problem or the question is this. Are you even willing to be a neighbor? Don't start counting people and deciding who classifies for your help and who doesn't classify. Why don't you just concern yourself? Are you even thinking about being a neighbor? No, you're thinking about being a husband, a boss, a father, an employee. So let me ask you your mindset. Are you even living your life with a mindset that says, my living today is a neighbor? 37, he said, he that showed mercy, Jesus said to him, go, do thou likewise. A church our size could turn a community upside down. Why don't we turn a community upside down? Because we think ministry is... Wednesday night, 6 o'clock. Tuesday morning, 7.30. Tuesday night, discipleship, 7 o'clock. Wednesday night, discipleship, 6.30. Soul winning, 7 o'clock. Ministry is Saturday morning, 10 o'clock. Thank God at 12, I'm done. Ministry is a mindset that says, I'm going to live today being a neighbor. Which means... I'm not focusing on the trail. I'm not focusing on my destiny. I'm not concerned about getting to Jerusalem and back. I'm not worried about getting to Jericho in less time and being more efficient. I'm actually noticing there are people. We live in a city that is beat up. But Monday, 350 Christians don't even notice. Tuesday. 350 Christians don't even notice. Thank God for Wednesday night at 6 o'clock. Suddenly about 35 Christians notice for 45 minutes. And then Thursday, no one notices till about 7 o'clock. Then Friday, no one seems to notice. And then Saturday, oh, you got about 80 people to suddenly notice. There's some beat up people. The only problem is they notice till about 12. So what's the problem, preacher? Not lack of people that have been beaten down, stripped, robbed, and left half dead. It's Christians with a philosophy that say, today I wake up. Not thinking about Jerusalem. Not thinking about Jericho. Not thinking about the government and the problems and the finances on the trail. The cost that it... Ridiculous how much it cost me to get to Jericho. Really, does that even matter? Because it doesn't matter how big their wound is, how obvious their pain is. Here's what the average Christian is doing. Oh, he got tattoos on his neck. Life, we look at the crowd, is an obstacle, a headache, a problem, a distraction, 
You know what you should have seen? Someone that was beat down and bleeding, busted in the head by this world, God said. The problem isn't identifying who your neighbor is. The problem is identifying your mentality and understanding your philosophy is, I am their neighbor. That's the question. Father, we pray tonight. We certainly hope that you've enjoyed this message today. But more importantly, we hope that the Lord has challenged you in some way to grow in your Christian life. For more information about our church, including directions and times of services, please visit our website at www.capitalcitybaptist.org.